Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A funny taste in music with Andrew Bird. All right. Oi. 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 Um, I like that as a football chant. Who are you? It's quite deep, isn't it? Just, uh, you chant that at a football player. Who are you? They're going to think, yeah, who am I? Who am I? Who are we all? What is existence? Bang, goal's gone in. It's done its job as a chant. Anyway, hello, uh, Andrew Bird. Funny taste in music. Those are the two things I need to tell you. That's what you're listening to. This one, Matt Ford. Fordy. Fordy. He is a brilliant comedian. He's had his own TV show, um, Unspun. He's got his own podcast you should listen to, Political Party. He's got his own book called Politically Homeless. Really good book, just out, so get that. Um, so that what's that? He's got podcast, book, TV show. He's got his own radio show, Rock and Roll Football on Absolute. He's doing well, isn't he? He's really... Anyway, now's not the time to get bitter. Um, anyway, and he does voices on Spitting Image. He's really, really good impressionist and mimic of. Um, he does Boris Johnson. The without doubt, I think the best Donald Trump. There's a lot, of, lot of Trump impressions, but his is definitely the best. Now, for this episode, I thought it'd be fun because he can do a really good impression of me. So this episode is just him. He's doing his voice and my voice for the whole thing. Right, so listen out for it. There's a bit where you can tell he's doing me, but the whole thing's just him. I'm not even on it. It's a joke. It's a bloody joke. I'm on it. Um, So it's Matt Ford, and it's going to be Oasis heavy. There's no apologies. I'll say at the start, if you don't like Oasis, um, you can still enjoy the episode, but I'm not going to lie to you. It's pretty much Oasis. So if you want to leave, go now. Go on. Off you go. I don't need you. But please do donate to the Patreon uh, thing subscription and please listen to other episodes. But uh, it's a really good episode and Spotify playlist obviously goes with it. So go and listen to the Spotify playlist. Quite a lot of people have been messaging me. They're enjoying them. So that's good. I'm glad about that. I hope you like them. Um, So it's going to be a great episode. So join me in a second after these adverts that are inevitable. And then I'll be chatting to my mate, Matt Ford. A funny taste in music. The interview next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right. I wanted to do a music podcast, but not talk to comedians about music. And I've really tried to not go too Oasis heavy and put people off. Do you know what I mean? You could go, you could go yeah. in deep with Oasis early doors and sort of alienate a lot of people. But this one, I mean, even the other week I had Rich Wilson on and I, we talked about his mates who are in a band. We talked about that band and other bands for a bit. And we held off until about three mm. quarters of the way in. And then it was pretty Oasis heavy. But this one, there's no excuses. We're going in. So if you don't like Oasis, off you go now, listeners. Off you. Don't like Oasis. Get the fuck out of here. Off you bloody go. Yeah, you're off, mate. Shut the door after you. Um, Yeah, there's no no apologising in this one. You were one of them. I thought, well, it's going to happen, isn't it? Now, um, uh, Now, I was talking about you the other day. You'll be happy to hear this. I was on a Zoom chat with a couple of other comedians. And your name came up, and you, I've, you might, you might not know this, but you're one of them that when your name comes up, everyone's got a forty story. Oh really? Yeah. Did you know that in a good yourself? way? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. No. I thought, oh, I'd love to be like that. <laughs> when your name comes <laughs> well, the up, the story's nice. Yeah. Though. They're all fucking pretty. Oh, Some of them were quite mad, obviously, but it's like, ah, oh, forty. Ah, oh, I remember this time. Everyone had one. Oh, so who was on the call? It was me. Uh, Jared Christmas, yeah. Barry Castanola, and Rod Gilbert. Yeah. Oh, lovely people! So we we all had a good forty story. I'll tell mine. Oh, great! I've told you I've told you this back to you about nine times, but I, for me, it very much sums you up. It was Edinburgh. Imagine the scene. Yeah. Two thousand. You don't have to. You were there. Two thousand. <laughs> Two thousand and five. And and I don't mean this sounds bad. I didn't. I don't mean this to sound bad. But at the time, because at the time you were flyering for our picture. Yes, that's right. So I didn't even know you did stand up. I thought you were like, because I didn't know who anyone was. I just thought you didn't mm. know who was like promoters and who was part of all of that. So you were flyering and you were like one of the best flyers on the Royal Mile for three minutes out of an hour. <laughs> the rest of the time it was just eating, talking bollocks. And our picture would come like a undercover boss every now and again. See <laughs> to yeah. see if you were actually doing anything. It'd always catch you like fucking sausage in hand eating. 
<laughs> just have that disapproving look on his face. But also, like, he kind of knew this would happen. But I remember there was... This, right, so what it was, there was this girl, and she was sat outside a calf, like, on those tables and chairs outside, and she was with a bloke, and you could tell from their body language they weren't getting on. Well, this is what you told me anyway. You were going, oh, she's... Fuck. You go, you go, oh, she's gorgeous. Look at her. Oh, she's so nice. That Them two shouldn't be together. I can tell. They're a couple, but they're going to split up. You can tell. <laughs> And you kept telling me, look at their body language, you can tell. And I'm like, all right, Fordy, I'm trying to fly her. And you're just going on, and it's about an hour you've been going on. Yeah. And then you went, I need to, you said, like a fucking detective, you're like, I need to get closer. <laughs> you went, I need to be able to hear them. So what you did was you went right next to where they were, like out, like on a busy street outside the calf. You went and got inside a phone box that was right next to them. And then you picked up the phone like you're on a call and then you came back to me and you went you went yeah they're definitely arguing i went oh. <laughs> and i said oh can you hear them arguing wow. you said no no i rang the operator and i told her what was happening and she agreed with me that they're definitely going to split up wow I was like, what you know the? i have no recollection of that it was fucking mad and then you just walked off and i was just stood there with tom rigglesworth going what the fuck was that um yeah i think it was, you know there's periods in your life where you just um, you just loving life, you know. You can prat around a bit, and I'm not sure everyone gets the chance to do that in life. You know, life is really serious, and you come out of school, and if you go to uni, you do that, and then you go into the world of work. And you, it, as comedians, particularly when you're just up in Edinburgh flying, you can just sort of prat about a bit. I don't remember any of that. Yeah, well, but I'm really pleased I did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't remember it because it was probably you know a daily occurrence, shit like that for you then. It was, but I would drink a lot in Edinburgh back then. I mean, now I barely touch a drink. But back then, when it was fun, and I think every new comedian should have those years in Edinburgh where, and obviously I was just flyering. Um, but the first couple of years you do it when you're not doing an hour and you're just doing, you know, a, a package show or whatever you're doing, it's important to go and just enjoy it. I think so. I, that, I'm really pleased that other people have stories about me just being an idiot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we all had them. But um, but I. Uh... And you're you're one of them as well. You could, by the way you dress, you can sort of tell roughly what music you're into. You know, people you look at and think, well, he goes to live gigs. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You've got that look about you when you when you're off duty. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you dress yes. smart, but you have that you have that look of he goes to gigs that I like. And yeah. I, I, like I remember, <laughs> another one I remember being on one of our uh, Christmas get-togethers that we have every oh, now and yes. again. The uh, yeah. Aforementioned Magic Pants Pete Furman often makes an appearance. Yes. And I remember, you know, when, you know those great nights when you're in the pub and you're all chatting, having a really good good laugh and a good chat. Everyone's having fun conversations that they want to be a part of. No one's like glancing over like, oh, I need to get out of this shit and get over there. Do you know what I mean? So I glanced over, though, at you. <laughs> you, were, you were surrounded by Furman and I think Danny Buckler and a few others. And I just remember you were mid Liam Gallagher impression. You were, I don't know why, you were arm proper, arms behind back, leaning into an air mic, giving it sunshine. Oh, <laughs> and I, I don't know why. I just remember Pete Furman pissing himself laughing. He was enjoying it. But uh, Furman loves it. He's another big Oasis fan. Oh, is he? I didn't he even know that about him. Oh, yeah, massive, yeah. He dresses, he dresses like you'd think he would be, but I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But, um, yeah, so you were so uh, I knew you were a massive Oasis fan, but 
we'll just quickly talk B.O. B.O.? Yeah, before Oasis. Oh, right. Yeah. Crikey. Oh, I thought this was going to be another terrifying story from my part. No, no, no. No, there's been no mention of that. Um, although sometimes you're sweaty. You are sweaty. I'm a sweaty man as yeah, well. Yeah, I do sweat. I'm, I do, me yeah, too. I sweat easily. Yeah, I'm a sweater. Yeah. Uh, I take a spare little towel when I go to the boxing club and I do weights after. I take a little, t- I change T-shirt after boxing and then take a little towel mm. with me. And I tell people I'm a perspirer, thinking that'll get it. They, they never laugh. They're very serious while doing No, weights. why would they? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, before Oasis, do you remember uh, growing up, the music you were into, like your first, like probably your parents were listening to, or someone, or a friend. Yeah. Do you remember the first sort of music you remember being aware of? Yeah. So my mum was into things like Gordon Lightfoot, Foster and Allen, um, Johnny Cash, oh, yeah. Dire Straits. Oh, nice. Um, what else? John Denver. She really loved. Right. Um, and we were kind of we were church going folks. So I guess. You know, the first music I really was aware of were hymns and carols and things like you that. You don't hear that often and these days. You no. don't. Um, so I still have, even though I've I've lost my faith. Um, <laughs> I at Christmas really, I don't think there's anything better than kind of carols. Well, there is. I think they just sound there, majestic. There is that. Um, we spoke about that before. A few that comes up quite a lot. That feeling of in a room, people all singing together. There's nothing quite. Yeah. Like that. And they say it's a spiritual thing. I think that sort of uh, accidentally they discovered that in church. Do you know what I mean? That would have happened if there was nothing to do with religion. Because it does. At gigs. Well, it does. And obviously churches are built pre-amplification. So they're, they're, they're built to echo. Yeah. So they're, they're you know, they're, if you think of the... It's almost like... Um, you know the story about Shola Amma getting discovered in a tube station? Yeah. You know the girl who's saying you might need somebody? Because tube tunnels are perfect because they're, they're shaped like the palate of the mouth so you, the voice really reverberates and sounds great it's the same with the church oh, I didn't think all of those that. kind of archways oh yeah, yeah. it's good acoustics on a tune so that's why the acoustics in a church or a cathedral are basically the best you'll get they for singing for singing that sort of music you know for stand-up it'd be terrible yeah well we've done um some. yeah well exactly yeah it's it's awful um it really makes you feel for vicars actually like, it's quite a tough gig it's a tough gig speaking in these places um but yeah, so I guess religious music, and, and in a way that was a slight introduction to Johnny Cash, and I think that's what my mum liked about Johnny Cash, was that kind of God-fearing side of him. And of course he did lots of songs about God and judgment, and we had vinyls of him, you know, he would do just vinyls of hymns. You know, there's, there's loads of Johnny Cash hymn albums out there, yeah. where he's just singing old hymns. Hordes of them, yeah, yeah. I bought a Johnny Cash album just this Christmas. I did? What, which one did you get? The, that latest one, the one with uh, the Philip. Phil, Phil, the Liverpool-based orchestra. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah, because I, I did think that. I thought, Johnny Cash with a full orchestra. That's going to be phenomenal. Is it just? It was it just out incredible. this Christmas. My, I've said this on the podcast a few times. My One of my earliest memories of music is Johnny Cash on a Sunday. Not religious. My mum cleaned on a Sunday. It was a cleaning music. So, so and what what songs in particular do you remember? I don't I don't actually remember any particular songs. Just the the sound of his voice and that dum 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 that dum 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 yeah yeah that six foot six. That I mean that's about cash. You know, if you're a kid, there's something so. And anyway, he has such a unique commanding voice. Yeah, it's hard not to sit up and listen to that. 
So I loved the sound of his voice. Six foot six, he stood on the ground. You're like, he doesn't sound like anyone else. No. So I was transfixed. So really, if I had to, you know, Oasis is my favourite band, but if I had to pick a favourite artist, it would be Johnny Cash because I loved him as a kid and, and that love has only grown stronger with age. I just love the sound of it. There's something really special about his voice. So I got into him and then my mum and my uncle, um, I think, shared... Um, they like Johnny Cash and they like Dire Straits. And I remember my uncle giving me a lift home from my granddad's house and um, Money for Nothing was one of the first songs I really got into. Uh, and you and, heard that in the car? Yeah, I just remember it being on... I don't remember... It's not like he said, oh, we're now going to listen to Money for Nothing by Johnny by Dire Straits. Give it an intro. I just remember <laughs> it was just off and on at that... Yeah. When I think of that time in my uncle's Ford Cortina, yeah. I think of... That's funny, um, that... that. Yeah, my, my, I've got That's a mate, uh, I used to work in a factory, and it was about a 25-minute drive, and he had Dire Straits' album on in the car. I think it's good car music. And, it's brilliant but car he, music. he was one of the, you know when you have an album, you just it's in your, it's in your CD player or your tape in the car, and you just, you just it just stays in, you just don't, I think it's a good compliment for an album, if you don't take it out, you just leave it in there. <laughs> just let it run, get to the end, you're like, yeah, I'll have that again. And that was that, that so Dire Straits album in the car driving. And that reminds me That's of brilliant. that. That's yeah, it's weird. good. And, and obviously we're a similar age. So that era, they were they were massive. Um, that song was huge, obviously. So, um, yeah, but the first music I remember liking that my mum was listening to was, was Johnny Cash and Dire Straits. Yeah, we are, I think you're... Are you a couple of years younger than me? I think you're a couple of years younger. You. I was born in 1982. Yeah, two years younger then, yeah. There you go, you're right. You look younger, though. I look younger than you. Yeah, it's because you're fit and healthy. Yeah, but I've got a worn face. Whip it lean. I've got a worn face. You've got I've what? always looked older than I am. I've got a worn, rugged, wrinkly face, haven't I? Yeah, but you, you know what it is? You probably looked a bit older at the start, but, n- but you've just stayed the same. I'm hoping... It's like people who go bald early. Yeah. They look old for that period, and then in time, they end up looking like the young that, ones. Well, that's what I'm hoping. I reckon 50s, I'm going to even out and look pretty good. That's what I... I think you already have. I think you, because you're fit, you're so lean, you look... You know, that suggests an element of youth, you make, I think, you or make, real old age. You make me feel all feminine and ladylike when you call me fit. <laughs> <laughs> feels good. Um, yeah. I, uh, so, yeah, I remember yeah Johnny Cash, and, um, and I've said this before, I didn't realise how much... I knew of his until I watched the film Walk the Line. And what, how do I know every yeah. word of every song of this? And then my mum pointed out, because yeah, you heard it every Sunday growing up. Yeah. And he did thousands of songs. And that was in an era where they'd all do the same song. So It Ain't Me, Babe, Bob Dylan did it and he did it. You know, there's um, Sunday Morning Coming Down. Chris Christopherson's got a version. Johnny Cash has got a version. It was almost like those old comedians, like Manning yeah, and yeah. that, where they'd all do each other's jokes. So there was they were writing their own stuff, but they'd also do you know, versions of songs so that you've heard, there's so many songs you go, I didn't realise that was done by Cash as well. Yeah, it's quite funny. Some some singers sound, I don't know why you appreciate them a bit more when they do a cover because like, it's like the pressure's off. It's not yours, so just enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Well, exactly. And I think, I, I'll tell you what I do think about Johnny Cash is, it, towards the end of his life, he did those American Recordings albums and if people haven't had them, they're, they're worth looking up because... It's these sort of swan song, really. It's his departure from the world, and they're a mixture of new songs and cover versions, songs that he just liked. Yeah. And his cover versions of songs sound like they're some old discovered original. It doesn't sound like a cover. He does one by U2, and obviously Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, which was his big hit yeah. right at the end. 
they sound like if Johnny Cash is singing that song, that sounds like he did it first because it's so stripped back and it's and it's his yeah. de- lovely deep um, voice that you think, oh, you too must have covered it off him. Yeah. You know, you can't believe that he's done a cover version that sounds. It's fantastic. Yeah, there's that. Um, there's that. Uh, you know those. I don't know if you've got. I've started to get into them. I'm not proud of it, but those reaction videos on youtube oh man but the ones are oh, like, there's two guys yeah, two young lads because <gasps> because they're so young but they they give everything a good go you're you're expecting them to go what's this shit bruv but uh i don't know why yeah. they're english they're american aren't they but um <laughs> when they watch the johnny cash one and they're like fuck it and they're like about 19 and they're well into it straight away it just goes to show how how good that is but but also i think it's really good what they've done, those two guys, is brilliant, because these are two young, cool American guys, two young black American guys, and they, they've obviously just, they just love music in general. And what it shows you is, it, you, the one that really went viral was the Phil Collins one, when it's in the air tonight. Yeah. And when that drum solo kicks in, they, their faces transform. And you're like, of course, that sounds great. So because it's by Phil Collins, people go, listen to that. These two guys are coming at it totally blind, like a taste test yeah, for a supermarket Any of the Christmas. prejudice? Any of the... No prejudice, no, no, like, oh, we're... and these guys are deliberately doing a project where I guess they're saying you can get into anything. I think it's fantastic. And it, when you see the Phil Collins one, you go, of course that's brilliant. I don't care if it's Phil Collins. That drum yeah. solo bit is... F- Brilliant. Yeah, there's no denying it. When you see it, because there's nothing better than sh- uh, saying to someone, I'll oh, listen to this, and they love it. So to see it on YouTube, to just be out of, even though you don't know them, is great. Watching two young lads who are, you know, they're from, so, I can't know, don't know where they're from in America, but they're completely different Brit upbringing to you. And to see their perspective of Wonderwall, it's just brilliant. They've yeah. got one on Wonderwall, uh, that one. Lincoln Park. It's good watching them freaking out to Link because to me Lincoln Park's new, but you forget it's twenty yeah, years old now. Wow. But, um, but uh, the other one that uh, Johnny Cash did that I liked was uh, um, Tom Petty and Heartbreakers. I won't back down. Oh, brilliant! And Tom Petty yeah. said when he heard it, he wished that he'd never sung it. <laughs> it's his own song. He heard it, and went no. That's that's how it should have been done. Yeah, there's something. What and I think. Because of what Cash brings to it, obviously, is that unique voice. But I think for anyone who does anything creative, there's a real lesson there is you, I think the temptation is to always add more. Yeah. To get an extra little, you know, guitar solo in, get an extra bit of a drum thing. Cash's thing is just to strip songs right back. And that gives him a real raw power. I think sometimes there's, you know, for comedians, there's probably a lesson in that, in, in the, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, the basics. If you get the basics right, you don't have to, you know, oh, def- some- trying to invent the perfect routine. Just think about what's That's funny. That's like when you do that, you do a bit and you keep adding a load of waffle to it and you're like, why is that fucking bit not working? It drives you mad. And I ring my wife in the car on the way in from the gig and that <laughs> fucking bit didn't work again. And I can tell she's going, yeah, yeah. So this a thousand times. And then I drop it. And then a year later, it'll pop in my head in the middle of a bit, and you do it stripped back. <laughs> you do it like a coost yeah. because you can only remember the bones of it, and it works again. You're like, oh, because I did all yeah. that waffling shit. That's basically what Johnny Cash did. Strip <laughs> songs right back to what they should yeah. be. So yeah. Um, so then after that, after that, you got that. That would have been sort of because we're doing these with sort of um, 
loosely agreed, well, Jeff Innocent insisted, that you get <laughs> you become aware of music sort of about eight, the age of eight. He reckons you then mm. start buying it about 11, 12 maybe, and then you really get your own taste in music about sort of 14, 15, roughly these ages, roughly. So um, what, what age did you start... Um, buying music do you think can you remember the first album you bought well the first album I bought, I'm so pleased I can say that the first album I bought was What's the Story Morning Glory by Oasis oh, on tape brilliant on, on tape a, on a French on, on a French school trip I also bought at the same supermarket Fields of Gold The Best of Sting oh. and because I still you know I still love that sort of music Sadly, the, well, not sadly, I think it's just the reality of it. I would love to be able to say, you know, I grew up listening to Johnny Cash and Dire Straits and got straight into Oasis and all the rest of it. But I loved pop music. The first single I bought was Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas Is You. And I think that was because I only had a quid and it was 99p, but I did like the song. Well, I'm not going to sort I of rewrite history. I think we all did at the time when we were, because as a kid, it's so, so poppy, isn't it? As a kid, yeah, you can't. And I still love it. Um, but I was really into, like, it, I loved Eternal. Oh, yeah. I liked Eternal. Um, so they were the first. That was the first pop concert I went to. to see Eternal in. Was <laughs> it? Fant- I think that first album, Always and Forever, is a brilliant. Who did album. you go with to see Eternal? I think I went with my mum. Did I? Or oh, my mum picked me up? It's some other lad from school. Uh, Louise had just left, so it was the Power of a Woman tour. I mean, it's so funny when you look back. You're like, that stuff was so sexualized, and like as a young kid, you kind of don't pick up on that messaging, even though like all the posters of them in like negligees and stuff. Yeah, yeah. As a young kid, you kind of like you don't quite get it. No. You just like, oh, they must just have to wear that for the, you know, maybe yeah. it was warm on the day they had the album. <laughs> I was part of the Eternal Fan Club. I thought they were fantastic. I loved that sound, and I think. Uh, that was probably just slightly pre-Oasis, you know. It was, t- um, yeah, I am. Um, do you know who I re- a girl band I really liked? That This doesn't get talked about much, admitting to liking girl bands. I don't know why, because it's weird that girls can really like male singers, but men don't often admit to liking female singers. Do you think that's fair? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've never thought of it like that. I mean, obviously, I didn't have a problem with that. It was by Mariah Carey and going to watch it. <laughs> no, you did it. Maybe it was part of... Um, yeah, but, yeah, but Fordy, you're massively comfortable with yourself. We all know that. But um, Well, yeah, maybe because I was raised by a, you know, a single mum, maybe sort of I didn't have you know male stereotypes in the house or something. I don't know. Could maybe be it. Maybe I was that less susceptible to that. I was really into... Uh, I really liked All Saints. Oh, fantastic. And I've really, their last, not their last album, that was good, but the one before that, there was one a couple of years ago. That's brilliant. It's really good. Well, there was that, they kind of stood on the shoulders of Eternal, didn't they? I guess they are to Eternal what five, what blue were to five. You know, you kind of, <laughs> you need that band to exist first and do that kind of quite urban sound. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think, I still think one of my favourite songs of all time is Cell V by Bewitched. <laughs> Who knew this podcast would go? I thought this was going to be just Oasis from start to finish. (laughs) Fuck, talking about girl bands and Bewitched. How has this happened? Yeah, but I think you would struggle to find a better pop song than than Celeve by Bewitched. And I think it's got everything. And I'm a sucker for like Celtic, you know, fiddles and things. Oh, I just listened, I just watched um, um, Shane McGowan's DVD, Crock of Gold, the history of uh, Shane McGowan, how he saved Irish music. He saved it so oh, much, wow. Bewitch took it home. Um, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I'm a sucker that. for a 
for a, 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 a catchy Celtic vibe of a song as well. I know what you mean. Yeah, and I just think that that sort of captured... And obviously, Riverdance was a big thing, Ballykiss Angel. You know, these <laughs> things never exist on their own. There was a kind of like... If you think of stand-up at the time, you know, it's like Ardlo Hanlon, Dylan Moran. Like There was a kind oh, of... good point. Irishness was big and cool, wasn't it, in the 90s? Ireland at the World Cup in 1994. Oh, yeah. You know, there was, it was all kind of around a bit. There was a sort of, uh, I guess there was a, a sort of Irish version of Britpop where it felt like lots of stuff was happening at the same yeah. time. And I just thought, to this day now, I will still search out Bewitched, Celevi, and listen to it on the bus or on the way to something. I just think it's perfect. Fair enough, I'm not going to argue with that. And I love the little bits of, like, dialogue in it, you know. Oh, yeah. People say, I don't stuck me down, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's really, it's done with real knowing humour, that song. I liked the uh, the smallest one. I mean, you know, you know, they're all small, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, probably, but the smaller <laughs> one, you know, you know. So was she the was she one of the Lynch one of the ones who's related to Shane Lynch and Boyzone? I I I, I, did, I didn't know I didn't know their background that as much as you, Fordy. But um, the, the yeah, smaller the, one, the the, the Bob with the sort of uh, shorter hair. That's the one. Blonde hair. Oh, curly, curly, slightly Bob. Yeah, I think so. Curly Bob yeah, yeah. sounds like a, a regular in a rough pub, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Don't mess with Curly Bob. Yeah. One-legged stew and Curly Bob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I knew a bloke called One-legged stew. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so, yeah. So, um, but so the, you bought What's the Story on tape, you see, because I, I was just, I feel like I was just too young, weirdly, for Definitely Maybe, as in oh, I got into Oasis at What's the Story, which is weird when you think about it, in the pub the jukebox putting on what's the story relentlessly and some of the older blokes got putting on some of the other stuff and you're going oh do they do that as well and they, they were like what live forever yeah yeah mate yeah they did um yeah, it was only like the year before, yeah yeah but i guess when you're young that's a year's a long time isn't it when you're when you're that age and i think i remember oasis kind of being around but when you're young obviously pop music particularly for our generation was stuff like take that and and i love to take that i don't think i would have ever described myself as a fan at the time but i brought their greatest hits and i think back for good and um i'll never forget again is like one of the great all-time pop songs yeah um so when oasis first came out i think i probably thought they were a bit too heavy for me it sounded a bit sort of brash yeah and it's really funny you know when you talk to people who don't like oasis and what they think about them they probably wouldn't describe them as sort of edgy and almost borderline punk. But that, I guess to my young ears at the time, I thought, oh, that's probably a bit too heavy for me. I probably, at the age of 11 or 12 or whatever I was when it first sort of appeared, probably would have almost thought of it like heavy metal in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Because it, cause at the and time... I was hearing those songs endlessly, and then by the time What's the Story comes around, the sound has softened a bit and they were more mainstream. Yeah, they went more melodic... And uh, yeah, like Wonderwall was just massive, and then that's when, that's when like Mums were in her Oasis. Then I now remember, but no, I remember um, what's the story? Yeah, definitely, maybe was kind of you had to be a real music fan to be in Oasis then, like a proper yeah. going to gigs, which you're not at the age of eleven because you're too young and you don't don't read NME at eleven. <laughs> a lot a lot of people yeah. don't. But so then, what's the story? Was just it was inescapable. Some people, the people who slag Oasis off, sometimes forget that, like young lads of our age, it was kind of in escape. You kind of, it was everywhere. So, but you know what? The, the sort of people who slag it off. Firstly, I think writing a catchy song is that is clearly the hardest thing to do, 
It's like scoring a goal in football or writing a great joke. It's the, it's, it's the whole point of the exercise is to write a song that people like. And to write a song that loads of people like is clearly really hard. And you only need to listen to most music to realise it's very rare, actually, to write really good, catchy songs, particularly songs that people would like the first time they hear them. It, it's so... There's probably not even 1% of songs ever written that, that are in that sort of... in that Goldilocks zone. Yet Oasis were just churning out these really... I mean, even if... Look at some of the bands since, like the Arctic Monkeys or Kasabian or... You know, the killers. Yeah. It's really hard to maintain that really, really high standard. And Oasis were just dumping album after album and B-side after B-side that was just the catchiest music you'd ever heard since the 60s. And I think part of the problem was because they were so industrious, people went, oh, well, it must be easy. Yeah. But no one else has been able to do it. So it must be hard. And we know that it's hard. So in a way, they were victims of their own industriousness and talent was that they made it look like, oh, yeah, this is easy. You're just ripping off the Beatles. And there's so much more to it than that. Oh, yeah. So I think people just don't appreciate how difficult what they did is. Yeah, and I think some of it as well, uh, some of the... They made it look easy and they really... They weren't... Because uh, Noel Gallagher's so un, so unpretentious then. He was just like, you know, songs are cool. You forget songs are cool things like Hello. <laughs> you think about that now. A song called Hello. You're taking a piss. So people are like, fuck off and roll with it. Stuff like that. You forget that song's called Hello. Track one, Hello. Um, you know, so I've... And do you know what? I always get confused when the albums are out. I always get mixed up when they were because fucking definitely maybe it was 94. What's the story? It was 95. That's ridiculous yeah. now. In two, and they are two of. I think even cynics would have to accept they're two of the best albums, possibly of all time. Yeah, you've certainly of the, certainly of recent years, and certainly from this country. Even if you don't like them, and, you've got to put them in there. Yeah, and it's like even when part of the problem as well that Oasis have is they were just so overplayed because you couldn't get enough of them for a number of reasons, and it's not just that the songs were great, although that is the crucial thing. Um, so then they become, oh, well, I don't like Wonderwall because it's overplayed. It's, and it's really hard to judge a song when you're sick of it. Yeah. It's like reviewing a meal when you're full. Because you're like, well, <laughs> I don't want it now. That's a cracking <laughs> description. Yeah. You know, but you have to remember the first time you heard it and you have to just try and be objective. And Wonderwall is a masterpiece. That is like Arrival of the Queen of Sheba or Canon in D by Parker Bell. That stands almost as a classical piece of music. It is perfect. And the way it's constructed, the drums don't, you know, when the drums kick in yeah. about halfway through, the assembly of it is is like a, there's an element of like musical engineering in that song that really lifts it to the next level. And I think I've, I think it's fine to go, you know what, it was everywhere. I got sick of hearing it. Yeah. And aping Liam Gallagher's voice, which I, I get why people kind of find it slightly grating if you don't like it. But if you're objective about Oasis's output, particularly on those first two albums, I think really anyone being fair would struggle not to find a few Oasis songs that they would have to accept are brilliant pieces of music. Yeah, yeah. So you you sort of uh, you are kind of aware of definitely maybe, but you massively got on a what's the story? Would you do you remember like going to house parties, free house? Some Steve's got free house, and what's the story was just on constantly. The thing I remember when I realised I was in 
was I remember hearing Don't Look Back in Anger played for the first time. And I think it is the only song I can remember where I was the first time I heard it. Oh, really? It. I was on the school bus going to school and it must have been, I think they used to put Chris Evans on in the morning. So I don't know whether yeah. it was his Radio 1 or his Virgin phase. And they're like, we've got the new song from Oasis. And I can remember hearing it for the first time and going, oh my God, this is, it just hit me. I just, it had my immediate attention. Yeah. It was like the first time you tasted curry or something. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, this is exactly what I needed in my life, you know? Yeah. And and what I also remember about that day is, and I remember the person who was singing it, I remember being in the school library later that day and a girl called Christine was singing it. Yeah. And I was like, that's the song I heard on the radio this morning. And even in my young head, I was like, this is like immediately caught on this song. I remember hearing her singing it in the school library that afternoon. I was like, oh man. Yeah. That song is brilliant. People are already singing it and it only came out this morning. That is sometimes, yeah, sometimes it takes hearing someone else humming along to something to really, you know, to go, to reaffirm to you how good it is. I know what you mean. When you hear someone else singing along to it and it reminds you of them forever, so you still remember yeah, her um, now. Well, it's like laughing at a joke, isn't it? You know, if you're in an audience and people keep laughing, you, you're more inclined to laugh than if they're yeah, not. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it, with me, that was the kind of musical equivalent. But I knew the moment I heard it. It was just... I knew the moment I heard that song, it was it was for me. It was just the soundtrack to that whole summer. Yeah, and even the video looks like it was uh, it clearly shot in Britain, but it has that sort of American feel, you know, really bright colours, uh, a, a lovely sunny day. And that was another thing that Oasis had was, f first, it has to be about the music, because if the songs aren't any good then all the swagger is horribly misplaced. Embarrassing, yeah. You know, when people... And I get that frontmen have to have a particular persona, but obviously Liam Gallagher's had such an influence on a generation of people who want to be frontmen and women, and that's no bad thing, but you have to have the songs to justify it. And what makes Oasis so special is they were supremely arrogant, they were really funny, they were more outrageous, and they really told the truth in interviews more than anyone else. And because they had the catalogue to back it up, they were untouchable. So they could do that. Um, but the other thing I really liked about them that I think really comes through in the songs and where it really, if there are any things that are, where my, their appeal to me is beyond the music, it is that they are so optimistic. That, well, that. And they're upbeat and they think tomorrow's going to be better. And, and I think that's so powerful. Well, that's the thing as well. When people slag them off, you've got to remember when you're, you're a teenage boy and you're or girl and you're thinking what you want to be when you're older and you're in school and you're all sort of you know like what what's, what am i going to do when i'm older that seems doesn't seem such a big thing now but when you when you're that age it's massive what am i going to be when i'm older what am i going to do and all over the radio and every house party is oasis and they're singing you know and it's all uplifting optimistic and tomorrow's going to be brilliant and you know, you need to be yourself and stuff, singing things yeah. like that. These could be the best days of our lives. Yeah, yeah. What a great line. Yeah, in, in quite a sort of, quite a, just a throwaway silly song. And then it's completely yeah. elevated by a great line like that. But yeah, Oasis was full of that. And all their interviews as well. That's the people, like you say, they were, Noel and Liam are well funny. Some of the, I've said before, some of their interviews have made me laugh more than, a lot of stand-ups. <laughs> we watched Liam Gallagher's best bits the other weekend on YouTube. Yeah, I watch them all the time. It's a well-worn well video in this house. But I love the bit. I mean, there's so many great... 
Liam Gallagher doesn't get the credit for being the surrealist that he no. is. You know, the, the kind of generic Liam Gallagher impression, oh, fuck off, you know, all right, all right top uh, kid. You're like, he has a brilliant surrealist brain with a really unique vocabulary. There are two really good examples of his attitude through his wit. And the first one is a more base one. The one where he's backstage at that festival. And he goes, what is it? I want to like optimist, you know, I want to do positive music, me. I'm an optimist. Not like all these twats down here writing music and I'm in pain, I'm in pain. My ears are in pain listening to you, you twat. (laughs) (laughs) My ears are in pain listening to you. I thought it was brilliant. And then that great interview off that Live Forever documentary where he says, um, would Oasis have been as successful without Noel? And he goes, yeah, no, yeah, I don't know, you know. It's like saying, you know, would Jesus Christ be a pervert if he had a bag of kiss on his head? <laughs> I don't remember that bit. <laughs> what? Would Jesus Christ be a pervert if he had a bag of crisps on his head? <laughs> that is beyond his odd and his pomp levels yeah, yeah. of that I reckon surreal thing. I think people now are starting to uh, realise how funny Liam Gallagher is because now he's got to do he's got to do interviews. Before it was Noel doing the majority of them and being really funny. And Liam seemed like quite, you know, angry and arrogant and fighting photographers and that. But he was well funny. Well, what people have realised, and it's taken them a long time, and Oasis fans always knew this, but it's taken the general public a while, is that Liam's in on the joke. He gets it. He's playing a character called Liam Gallagher, which is a version of himself, but he's doing it with a knowing wink. And I think people have... It's probably taken him having that solo career after BDI for people to kind of realise, oh, he's kind of in on the joke. He's playing up to it. And this is this great performance and we should all enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and well, the thing with Noel as well is that, um, like, I, well, both of them, both of them, I, what, when you're a teenager as well and you're being told to do all the time by teachers and stuff and your parents and that, and then... The, the best band in the world are being interviewed and there was I don't, it just sums them up for me that bit where um what was it he'd said about all the everyone in the house of parliament's on on coke and all yeah. heroin addicts and that and then there was press outside his house for three days and he opens the door and it was just the way that uh it's the way that he goes well they asked me a question that was my answer if you don't like if you don't ask me any f- don't like my answers, don't fucking ask me any questions. There's nothing you or anyone can do about it. And I remember thinking, hey, he's right, what are they going to do about it? They can't do anything about it. There's that thing as you know well what? when um, Liam left the band. There's a, it's on a couple of videos when he left the band, he walked off the tour. And uh, it was uh, Jeremy Vine knocked on his door. Yes, that sums right. up how funny he is. He goes, uh, yeah. can you come out and have a, have a chat, please, Liam? He goes, I'm a fuck, mate, it's raining. <laughs> Oh, my fuck, mate, it's think... raining. Everyone else would be like, oh, oh the would... BBC are interviewing me. Well, what should I say? How should I project myself to the world? I'm oh, yeah. a fuck, mate, it's raining. But I think they were important, like, vehicles of social change. And if you look at our relationship with... In this country, the class system is, is huge and endures. And you only need to look at the sorts of people who end up in power and end up interviewing people on the BBC to see that. The 90s was a kind of was our version of the 60s, really. Yeah. There was kind of a, a lot of social change. There was a lot of political change. 
obviously the economy was growing and that kind of underpinned a lot of that stuff. But Britain was kind of coming out of itself in, in that era. It became more tolerant and open and everything. Also, in that is a kind of th- that slow erosion of deference towards people with better accents or perceived to be better accents and perceived to be better backgrounds. And Oasis was so important in just saying, I don't care how posh you are and you're knocking on my door or what institution you're from. I'm living my own life in my own way. And you can piss off. And that's like a really important yeah. thing for people to see happen. And it's not disrespect for the sake of it. But, you know, they're knocking on his door. He's got every right to tell them where to go. And I just think that attitude, I think it's so important. It's so liberating for people. People feel so constrained by the house they grew up in or the income of their parents or, you know, that there's perceived setbacks. And they're real setbacks as well, but they can, they can kind of hold you in a prison of a lack of ambition and they limit your horizons. People like Oasis said to people from backgrounds like mine, you can go on and do stuff. You can do it. Yeah, well, if you've got talent and you work hard, you can conquer the world, and that's so powerful. Yeah, there was that uh, uh, documentary about "Be Here Now." When "Be" that's the thing as well, you forget, like how big Oasis were. They, there was a documentary yeah. about their album coming out. <laughs> Think about that now. Think about like yeah. a, a band now, an album coming out, and there being a BBC One documentary special. Just it was amazing, and um, yeah. And there was a bit in it where Noel's interviewed, and I remember it compl- clear as day, the bit where he goes, uh, and you've probably seen it as well, and it sums up what you're saying there, is he said that his mum always drummed into them that you're no worse, you're no better, you're no different from anyone else. Just the same as anyone else, and you can achieve whatever you want as long as you believe in it enough. And I remember watching mm. that, and I, was, I would have been 16, doing my GCSEs, and going, fuck, my, no one said that to me. No one said that. Yeah. My my dad says, well, they, they go to better school than you, mate. You're fucked. <laughs> That's what my dad says. <laughs> <laughs> so to hear like Noel Gallagher oh, say that, you're like, wow. And, it, and I still remember it and think about it probably yeah. once a month now. If didn't um, Kevin Bridges, he, had, he remembered that uh, Noel Gallagher saying something like that in an interview and that made him then do stand-up. You know what? Because he didn't this have the guts to do it. I was just about to mention Kevin Bridges. How odd is this, right? I just watched, I went to see his last tour and we watched his DVD the other night and the opening credits of it are him going to the stand comedy club. Yeah, I've seen that. And it's, what's the story? And I was like, how cool to kind of wear that as an influence. Yeah. Because actually I think there are loads of us who went on to do things that aren't music related. You know, listening to Oasis didn't make me want to be in a band. No. It made me want to listen to music like that and it made me want to go to gigs. But it was never something I was going to do. I play the piano and I'm musical, but I, I never had the desire to be in a band. But with stand-up and stuff, if I'm on the way to a gig, I'll listen to Oasis. I find it such motivating music. And I find the attitude towards it motivates me to be creative in my own way. And I'm sure there are people out there, it was the same when I worked in politics, I would kind of listen to Oasis as a, as a motivating factor. And I bet there are, there are, there'll be millions of people from sports people to people just with all sorts of different jobs. Yeah. And it'd be true of other music as well, but I think Oasis is really motivating music. It gives you something. It makes you want to get out of bed. It's great. It's, uh, I, I don't know, like a lot of people, I have that constant voice in your head going, you can't do it, you're shit, mate. You're shit, you fuck, you're shit. <laughs> Oasis it sort of drowns that out. It's, there's something about it, like supersonic makes you walk differently. <laughs> never said that before really but i it. think that really sums it up but i like to take that literally um 
not that bit, but what you're saying about listening to Oasis, that I, cl- I have a very clear memory. My second ever gig in London, my first gig was the King's Ed, and I thought you had to be drunk to do stand-up, so I was hammered. <laughs> so I drank I drank six cans of lager on the train to do f- a five-minute wow. open spot at the King's Ed, because I thought, because well, my first gig I was drunk, that worked. So yeah. my mum said, what, you're going to do that every gig, are you? All right. Um, yeah, uh, great life. So I... Um, so my second ever gig though was the comedy calf and i was uh which is in east Shoreditch. london if people don't know it yeah. and it was you know down a back street and it wasn't mm. it wasn't rough it was a little bit rough but i was at the time i would have been 19 or 20 and i'd only been to london like twice before and i'd gone to london on my own so i shit myself a bit and it was like about yeah. my fourth ever gig second ever gig <gasps> in london shit like proper shit in myself i'm stone cold sober my hands were shaking and i remember going into the toilet in the comedy calf with my cd walkman me discman silver sony uh, i think it had a 16 second anti-shock uh that was all bothered. yeah that didn't work but I still remember now, every time I went in that toilet after, I remembered it. I remember sitting on the toilet with the seat down, just sitting on there. Didn't need to go to the toilet, just needed to be on my own. Mm. And putting on Supersonic uh, on the, on the definitely maybe on the Disman, listening to Supersonic and Cigarettes and Alcohol and Live Forever. And then going, right, I think I can now go and die on my ass. <laughs> 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 I think I now have the courage. Yeah. But I, I would have been a comedian if I if Oasis never existed. I would have, uh, but I think it would have took me definitely would have took me longer. I think. Yeah, I, I just think those things have such an effect. You're basically medicating with Oasis. Yeah, you know? I still am. <laughs> You'd have found something else, but the, the, the Oasis hits a spot in the way that your favourite lager does, or if you're in the mood for a curry or whatever it is. You yeah. know, when you need that thing, and I think that's what... There's something indefinable about it. The, the songs are really catchy. That's the crucial thing. The songs sound great. They are a mix of kind of the Beatles, the Who, the Pistols, and all sorts of things. Glam rock. That, they wear their influences and they're open about them. Um, so they sort of learn the lessons that are from other people. But, the, 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 you know, it's, it's, it is the mixture of Liam's voice and Noel's backing vocals and Noel's guitar. The, 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 there's a perfection in it. Yeah, the melody That other bands don't give you. Yeah, I remember that. There was something about Cast No Shadow, that harmony of Noel and Liam in <gasps> Cast No Shadow. Yeah. Honestly, I put that on the jukebox in the pomp for it in the pub in toaster uh so many times that i remember every time it come on like a chorus of old men going oh for fuck's sake it I, but i just i because i didn't own the album when i think how many times i put it on the fucking jukebox could have bought the album 25 times but i didn't have the album why were you why were you going into pubs at that age and putting songs on jukeboxes because roy the landlord uh yeah. was he looked at profit margins above age limit <laughs> god bless him may he rest in peace um oh. yeah i know uh right so were you underage drinking or were you just yeah. like the the pub kid no we like were there's loads of us it's, the pub was full of us it was like a youth club with lager great brilliant an oasis on full blast all the time um what's the story it was just on constantly um 
but at that time as well because like you said you said it earlier you mentioned chris evans earlier that's important to remember at that time as well they talk about cool britannia and that was it wasn't just oasis so like you said there needs there's a good description you said there needs to be a few things and there was there was um there was art all over the news the turner prize was damien hurst the shark in the mm. tank that was all over the news there was kate moss was this so young true. english model that was now a global icon chris evans on the radio pre him being you know, quite a detestable cunt. But um, back when... Uh, <laughs> oh, hold on a second. Back. He's always been lovely to me. Has he? Well, that's, you could be yeah, the only yeah, he's one. he's a very generous host. You could be the only one. Um, he, uh, <laughs> he, from what I've heard. But uh, he, on the radio, though, he's, he's, he's like, if you listen to him now, he's, he's undoubtedly a brilliant uh, radio host, undoubtedly. Um, but you forget now, in the 90s, he was like... There'd be some mornings he weren't on because he'd been banned from a day or he'd be he'd be mm. given a disciplinary every day he could it was like he could be um sacked every day it was quite edgy he was so there was him doing that i remember yeah, one day but he started talking about the beatles and then he just went i'm sick of us celebrating people when they're dead why do we celebrate until someone dies so before something else happens to paul mccartney or one of the other Beatles. I'm going to play some Beatles. And he just played, I think he played like 10 Beatles songs in a row on Radio 1. He must have got bollocked for that. Um, yeah, but you remembered it. You know, this was like the golden era. And it was society then. If you think about the things that, that were um, acceptable to talk about and do, you know, we now live in, in quite a kind of vain um era where it's all selfies and instagram and uh you know a, a, a lot of that is some of it is positive because it's an emphasis on health and stuff but a lot of it is really superficial back then like underage drinking was rife to to sort of be drunk on air was kind of it, it was a far more rock and roll era it was the last kind of yeah free era really because after that things have become very serious some for very good reason yeah um but yeah, it was it, that was a real rock and roll era, and and on top of that, you had the Premier League had started in 1992 here, and football began to change. Yeah. Italian '90 was crucial in the kind of the mainstream appeal of football and taking it yeah, away from hooliganism. Euro '96 is then hosted here. That was euphoric. That, that again, that and, combined and it was euphoric with... for a number of reasons. Yeah, it was it was it was hosted here. England did well, and it wasn't marred by the hooligan problem that people really thought it was going to be, and that that's a subtext to that whole summer. And on top of that, you had, after 18 years of the Tories, a, a, a Labour leader that had mass appeal yeah, and, and that had really connected with the public and has this huge victory a year later. And if you think about those two or three years, from 94 to 97, Tony Blair becomes leader of the Labour Party in 1994, and that's when Definitely Maybe comes out. And in 1997, he becomes Prime Minister with this whacking great majority, and Be Here Now comes out. And in those three years... You've had Euro '96, Britpop. It was. It all happened in such a short space of time. It was. It was dizzying. Yeah, I thought it um, was. That's. Just, uh, in some ways, now it's you know quite galling. I just thought that was what it was like to be a teenager because yes, you didn't of know course, any different. Yeah, that was the norm. You thought this yeah, is what. It's like. only now. It's only with the distance of like, retrospect you go. Oh God, we were so lucky. Yeah, because you just. It felt like things were getting better and better and better. And I didn't know about politics in the way you did. But even I, I knew nothing about it, but I, I, I know it's easy to say now, but I honestly felt 
like things were changing. The world was getting better. It felt like that. In England, it did, yeah. because it was on the news. It was, this is getting better, and look at the art, and Oasis, and number one here, and they're going to America, and all of that. And then, and I mean, for you, because you, when, what age did you join the Labour Party? I joined Labour when I was 15, so... <laughs> I got... Which is the earliest you can join, by the way. I tried to join when I was 14. I wasn't allowed. I got into it really young. So, um, but of course, the the context and it is important to to make the context is the reason why this was such a, a a bonkers era with all this stuff happening and why that was not the norm was basically since the sixties, you know, the sixties with this huge amazing period, yeah, and then basically from the seventies onward, life had been terrible, yeah, just- you know, the end of the seventies with the winter of discontent and then ten years of Thatcher and the deindustrialization of the country. You know, just huge parts. Some people made a lot of money. A lot of people were on the dole. You know, mass unemployment and being skint was just the reality for for the best part of two decades for people. It was terrible, particularly for most working class people. So then this thing happens where all your things are happening at once. Football's great. Music's great. You got rid of the, you know, if you wanted to get rid of the Tories, then you got rid of them in the most spectacular way. So it 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 was from one extreme to the other. It wasn't that things were kind of okay and then they got really good. Things had been shit. Yeah. Terrible. Really, really And bad. even as a young kid, you were aware of it. Just hearing your parents watching the news going, oh, fuck, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know anything about Industrial it. Industrial strife, mass riots. Like, it was just football hooliganism. You yeah. know, this wasn't just about politics. Like, society was on the edge for a long time and it was bleak. People's lives were crap. They didn't have any hope. They were paid... You know, before 1998 or 1999, there was no minimum wage. You could literally be paid anything. 50p an hour, legally. It's bonkers how bad life was for people. And obviously, for all the progress we've made, we have to be realistic about how life is still terrible for a lot of people. But that period felt like, firstly, things did change. But secondly, it was that optimism was given to this country after so long. Yeah. And all that together was just, oh my word. It felt like... We were like a dog that had been let off the lead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just and like the constant bounding, soundtrack. Bounding down the beach yeah. with a string of sausages in our mouth. Saliva everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Not caring. Just uninhibited yeah, saliva. Wild abandon, yeah. Just the freedom. And it wasn't just that well, we're going on about Oasis, but there was fuck every even like like middle of the road bands were releasing brilliant stuff. Just everything. Like every now and again, I, every now and again, I told I told you once I disappeared down a nineties wormhole recently. Um, <laughs> but you listen to it and I'm think, I'm fucking imagine being a teenager listening to Cast, yeah, and uh, Full Brilliant. Blast and um, Shed Seven and Blur and all that oh. and Pulp, the Verve, Verve and Pulp, and ah, oh. really fantastic high quality music as well, and obviously because of the movement, there was a lot of stuff that was kind of okay that got swept along with it. But the calibre of that, the, the, of Shed There's a real sound to all of that as well. Sometimes when it comes on the radio, a 90s song, a real 90s song comes on the radio, I don't know what it is about it. It was a bit more, I don't know, more, um, I don't know, more sort of, not pompous, but more fucking celebratory and more ballsy than a lot, more yeah. unapologetic, just fucking went for it, didn't it? Or shed well, seven. It's a mixture of that. confidence and hope, isn't it? Like it, it sounds self-confident. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So it's, they've got a bit of arrogance, which is attractive. Yeah. And it's really positive, upbeat stuff. I listen to if I'm working during the day. I find it really hard to work when there are 
there's music on. But basically, the only things I've figured out I can be productive to are the Stone Roses. Yeah. I think that's the perfect music to work to. Or I just put Absolute Radio 90s on. <laughs> Unless it's Christmas and then I have Magic Christmas on from the 20th of November to uh, the end of December. But during the, during the year, Absolute Radio 90s on during the day, it, it is. Yeah. And it reminds you of... And it's not just the nostalgia. I mean, every generation is nostalgic, of course, because that's part of the human experience. But there was something particularly positive about it. I do. I feel bad for kids who grew up in the noughties and stuff because all they've known is like a massive recession. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, now, growing up now, you know, the kids haven't been able to go to school for a year. People haven't been able to go to university for a year and a half. You know, terrible well, period I'm, to grow up in. Well, I remember... Um... So so that that section up to ninety seven, and then it's kind of like now if you did it story wise, it's got quite a weird neat ending to it. I think of uh, of like then be here now came out of all the promise, and f- up until even when Do you know what I mean was out the first single that yeah. was massive, and everyone was like, yeah, it's great. So good. And um and then when the album come out for a day, it was just shit. And now that album came out on the day I got my GCSE results. No way. So yeah. So again, it was like, like Oasis were made for me. What's the story? Came out two days before my fifteenth birthday, and uh, be here now on the day of my GCSE results. We went and got our results, and then we got the bus into Northampton HMV, and went and got be here now, and we went to Tasha Davis's house because she had a free house. Well, it was in the right. in the day, wasn't it? It was in the day, so her mum was at work. So there was yeah. about forty of us in her house, everywhere, hammered with "Be Here Now" full blast. Brilliant. And oh, and then it kind of after that, it just I don't know what it just dwindled away. And then there was Princess Diana, and then and then everyone actually listened to us, uh, "Be Here Now" for the third time and went, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I love it. Though. I love I it. It's great because it's like Noel Gallagher said. It's a perfect expression of that time. But he also said someone, one of his, uh, I think it was um, Coily, said to him, "Be here now." Should have came with a sticker on it saying they should only be played once. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a brilliant album. I stand by it as a as a great album. I think it's majestic. And some of those songs, I mean, all around the world was one of the first songs he wrote. Yeah. So it's not that the songwriting was bad. <clears throat> it's just, you know, you can have arguments about whether they should have made the master plan the fir- third album and whether they should have spunked all those B-sides as early. But that, that's part of the attraction of them. They were this firework display. Well, that's what I was going to ask they went, you. They went hard and fast. Do you, know, you that, think that was the right thing to do? Do you think they would have been as loved if they hadn't had all those B-sides? Because that was part of it. There was the what? There was an oasis for the, the general public that... You know, they were crossed into the mainstream. But then there was still, if you were a massive fan of them, a huge music fan and a big, big fan of them, you felt like there were songs just for you, the B-sides, that you had to put the effort in. And every time you bought well, a single, it was like a third of an album. There was three was great so tracks. so good. The, then the quality... I think, is it on whatever? The B-sides are like... Half the world half away. The world away. Um, What's the other one? The, the, whatever single is uh, incredible as a as a... As a kind of like basically half an album, which you'd have got for ninety nine p the day it came out. Yeah, and you've got to remember in those days it was a single come out, and you'd have a radio remix, a dance remix, yeah. and maybe a cover yeah. version or a live track. That was all B sides were. Version. Oasis yeah. were one of the only ones doing, you know, because they they thought it was never going to end. 
Also, I think they always treated their fans with respect. Oasis were never that expensive to see live. I was going through my old... Um, we cleaned out the flat the other day, and I was going. I found my old ticket stubs. And the last time I went to see them was on their last, one of their last ever gigs at Wembley Stadium on the 9th of July. I went to that. 2009. I didn't... It was 50 quid. 50 quid to stand on the pitch. Hang on, and... And see Oasis at Wembley. And the lineup was The Enemy, The Enemy, Reverend Reverend and, the and the Makers, Kasabian. Kasabian. <laughs> it was a festival. Jesus. It was amazing, right? So they always treat their fans with respect, and part of that was putting writing really good B-sides and putting them out there. And the other thing, I think, with that was that songs like Champagne Supernova, right, weren't a single. Yeah. Now, that is one of their best-known songs. Radio and telly and the public couldn't get enough of them, so even their B-sides were out there. In fact, I bet if you were to ask people on, like, Pointless or Family Fortunes or something to name singles, they would name album tracks. Yeah, what? Because there was so... What, Morning Glory's not a single. In this country. So there would be songs people would name, I think. Am I right? Yeah. I think that was just an album track. Yeah. You, you know, people would end up naming songs, Cast No Shadow, that weren't released as singles. Because even their album tracks, even their B-sides were just massive. Morning Glory, The only, I think the only one you don't hear on the radio regular is Hey Now. Apart from that, all the others, all yeah. of them. Oh, I love Hey Now. All of them are on regular. And then the B-sides, like Acquiesce. And stuff like oh that. Oh my god! That is why did they never? Re- I mean, equally, it's really easy to go. I think you get into trouble with counterfactuals. You go, had they released Acquiesce, would they be as critically da 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 da? Yeah. So let's say they don't release Acquiesce. Let's say they release Acquiesce. That means they might not release. Don't look back in anger, and then we'd all be here years later, going, "How was that a B-side or how was that an album track?" In the end, they put all their stuff out there. It's all there to be judged, and I think you know, by and large, you'll get a fair hearing off right, it. Right, right. Because it's such an amazing body of work. Funny you should say this. I had this prepared for you. Uh, I wanted Ooh. to see. I don't often do any prep for this. That probably anyone who's listened to these, that would be apparent. Um, <laughs> but here I have. The only prep I've done is stuff like watch a jam documentary, stuff like that. So uh, okay. it's quite a good prep. Oh, I'll say that. I watched uh, uh, Supersonic yesterday. Half of it. Uh, kids came back. Just to, oh, um, just to, you know, brush up. Uh, one of my, I've got to say again, what I think a couple of my mates, you've probably got mates as well, that you've gone on about Oasis so much and they're not yeah. Oasis fans, but every now and again, they'll watch something or hear something and text you and go, I watch Supersonic and how great it is. Just the, some of the quotes, again, we're talking about how positive they are. I remember a bit Noel Gallagher said about, about how famous they got and saying we we just didn't give a fuck whole fame and all of that he said we can treated it we treated it with contempt it deserved oh it's poetic he is a great storyteller Noel, yeah and he's really good at putting oasis in context and when i think about this about why hasn't there been i guess the arctic monkeys were massive but they didn't they and the Libertines, but they, they don't have that place in the heart of the nation that, that Oasis had. And they didn't have the huge, huge mass appeal. They don't have those Nebworth moments and things. No. Um, it, it's partly because, and again, there are other things underpinning this, is downloading music has transformed our relationship with it. Yeah. And um, uh, all sorts of other things, you know, because you can't make money off albums. Really, it's only middle-class bands that can afford to tour because you're not, you're not getting any money in the door. So there's that kind of been the, the class problem in, in modern music. But Noel Gallagher's really good at this sort of stuff, at telling that story. You know, we were the last big band, right, before the dawn of the internet. Yeah, that bit at the right. end. It's quite emotional, that bit you at the know, end. It's supersonic. You know, it really know, summed up. It, but it's such a good point, and, he, and he's really good. You know, you, you had to queue up, right, to get our albums. Yeah. 
And I think there is something in that. There's definitely, it's not just the financial thing. There is an emotional connection with those things. And Oasis, like, they weren't just influenced in their music. They were influenced in their, their cover art. and the, You know, they're, oh, they're out, they're singles. You, you, want, and that you, want, like... you wanted to look at the artwork and you wanted to read the notes and stuff. Like The whole product was really high quality. Well, me and you just the other day were texting each other. You text me, we're just texting each other generally before I asked you to come on about and you text me back oh your timing's impeccable and text me a photo of a liam gallagher vinyl that you've had framed and put on the wall and i text you a framed photo of the what's the story morning glory album cover i've got on my wall because their albums and singles and stuff look cool and look like posters you want oh. on your wall the you don't get that when you download stuff whenever well that's true and whenever um I'm on Brewer Street in Soho. I'm sure you have yeah, the same thing. Yeah. I only realised this a few years ago that it was it was Tom Parry, the comedian, who told me that that was. The, I always had just presumed it was in Manchester. Yeah, I guess for obvious reasons. That cover of What's the Story? And now you know those flats are still off in the distance. There's a record shop there. It's not Selector Disc anymore. It's I think something Records. And uh, every time I walked, you know, I, if I'm in that part of London, I will deliberately detour down that road. Just to walk. <laughs> effectively through the what's the story morning glory cover up do you know what i did uh recently uh, in manchester i was doing the comedy store manchester and i thought i know that it's not there anymore but i might go and see where it is just so on the boardwalk yes and I, so what is the building still yes. there or is it like a new the bu- building oh, is still wow. there and do you know where it is it's the fucking no. under those arches opposite the manchester comedy store it's next to where I always, always park. So I've walked past it probably 50 times and not realised that's it. And there's a blue plaque no on there as well. Because, you know, I Googled it not long ago because the Hacienda is now flat, so yeah, they've got the like a sign on the side. But it's not the building, and I think that's a real shame. But if it's the same exterior... Yeah, it is. Wow. Well, it's under the oh, arches, next time I go, so they can't redo that. I can't even, but, um, oh, oh, magnificent. So, uh, uh, the other quote I like of Noel Gallagher, just a quick one. I like the one where he's on about... Uh, it's a VH1 behind the music, Oasis, is a great Oasis yeah. documentary. And he says, well, they went off tour and they got together, went off on the first tour. And he goes, we didn't know if we were going to last five months or five years, but we fucking knew we were going to have a good time finding out. <laughs> Well, that's it. He's got there are so many different that, that there are different sort of baskets of Noel Gallagher quotes. One is just those great, you know, and oh, we were going to fucking have it, and they're great on documentaries. There is the other one where he's got the kind of simultaneously matter of fact but hugely um, self-aggrandizing. Yeah, you know, he'll go, you know, right. Do you know what I mean? Right, it's seven and a half minutes long, and I wrote that in two and a half minutes. Right, I ask you. What is all that about? <laughs> he goes... Oh, there's always like a Johnny Marr reference. You know, I wrote Live Forever on the same guitar, by the way, that Johnny Marr wrote, How Soon Is Now? And you just got... Oh, he's so good at, like, putting Oasis into a context and... and yeah. Even his stories and his quotes about and it. And the, the way he goes... Uh, and he's quite, you know... Like, I wouldn't be able, be able to do that, but he says, I wouldn't change any of it. Like, be here now. He says, you know, it's the sound of five blokes off the red on coke. But, yeah. but, but he says it's the perfect expression of its time. And I wouldn't change any of it. It's like that bit where he's like, they were built up. They could have been the biggest band in the universe if that album delivered. And he finds it funny because I just find it funny. Now, how many albums but, that sold? It sold more than yeah. most bands will sell in their whole career. 
Yeah, and I find it funny. <laughs> Fucking I love that album. I love that it's big and pompous and mad and overblown. And I think the songs are great. I think it is a great album. I know he um, sort of Mickey takes it. I think Liam is more sort oh, he of loves be it. here now. Yeah, From it's the great. I've heard. It's a really good album. I don't buy into this I like, narrative. I like what, no, that in retrospect, it's Noel Gallagher said about um, uh, All Around the World. He goes, somewhere there's a tape machine and it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> But here, here's the prep I've done, though. But you say that okay. you say that about "Be Here Now." I've rewritten the track list of "Be Here Now," right? Yeah. Using to say, to, I reckon this is the album that would have delivered and stood up, and like it would have delivered the hype. It would have, it would have stood up to the hype because it was a. I don't okay. think, to be honest, actually, I don't think whatever they did would have been quite good enough. Because the hype was unbelievable. Yeah, it, it, it was impossible to meet that. It was hype. on the news nearly every yeah. day, and they weren't allowed to show the album cover. That to have the handover, just ridiculous. Um, yeah. But this, so what? Here's the here's the rules. Here's the parameters I've set. I'm allowed okay. to use B sides off of What's the Story, right? So you can imagine if What's the Story, mm-hmm. that that album would have been okay. as big. Arguably, without a lot of them B sides, because the, the, just every track on the album was so good. Okay. So I'm allowed to use any of them. So what? So what I've gone with track one. Do you know what I mean? I've stayed with that for an opener. Yes, yes. I'm so pleased you did. I that. love that story as well about he's in the meeting and it's got all the radio players and all sort of execs and stuff like that, and they do the they do it. That must be horrible. They do a play of the of oh, the new man. single, and he says there's a point where they start playing it and they all start a stopwatch. Generally, for a, they have to do that for every song. But when they did it on, do you know what I mean? It was about a minute, and it was still just feedback and helicopters. He's like, oh. he oh, said, it was only funny. then it dawned on me. Oh, this is fucking out of order. <laughs> 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 so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Track one, do you know what I mean? Track two, acquiesce. Okay. Think of that as the start of an album. Track three, but yeah. okay. Let me just. I don't want to stop you in your tracks. But I think My Big Mouth is a phenomenal second track on the album, and that is like a punch you in the face. Song. All right, hang on. I'm going to make an adjustment. I, I'm not saying Aquarius shouldn't be on there, but I love My Big Mouth as a second they track. Did, like, they oh played that God. at Nebworth, they so they must have loved they it. They did, yeah. That was in their What's the Story Morning Glory era. So it's that level. So you're right. I think it's great. Now, I think it's rowdy. It's, and it's the only song of that type, really, they've got. Yeah, I've... I've that big introduction is like... All right. It doesn't sound like Oasis. I put that down the bottom. I was going to tell it's you like the ones you could Roses add back in. It's start, though, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah. It's like boxing ring walk music. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to have to take one out later on. I'm happy with that. Here okay. we go. So do you know what I mean? Track two, uh, My Big Mouth. Track three, yeah. Acquiesce. Okay. Right, track four. See what you think of this. I think underrated. Should have been on the album in the first place. Stay Young. Which was a okay, that's a great song. B-side on but Do You Know What I Mean. It's a brilliant song. But does Stand By Me stay on the album? I'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> track five, Round Our Way. Round oh, okay, Our yeah, great. Way. Underrated. I'm happy, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to let that go. Okay. Maybe I'll take that out for my big mouth then for now. Okay. But I do think it's a great like song. Track, right. So the next track, Stand By Me. Okay, no. good. Thank oh, you'd God. keep that on? That's that's great song. Okay. That's fantastic. All right, so... I've, I've, I think that's one of their best songs, actually. Do you? 
Yeah, I think it's beautiful. Okay, so I've swapped and really emotional and like the 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 the, the, the what's the word I'm looking for? The point behind it, I guess. You know, the the intent behind it is really sweet. Yeah, it's a good song. When you think of like those arms round each other Oasis songs, that's really one of them. Yeah, yeah. I think that I Nobody think that suffered a bit. That on, song right? is because it started to be the point where people were going. I don't think it's as good as uh, what's the story. You know what bit I love in it. I love the bit, if you're leaving, will you take me with you? I'm tired of talking on my phone. You know when he uses the mouth as an instrument? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's put words together that sound like a sort of drum beat, tired of talking. You know, he's got, he does that a lot, Noel. It's about the sound of the words, not necessarily the meaning a lot of the that's time. That's a cracking description of uh, he uses his mouth as an instrument. That's, what, that's, I think, what I love so much about Cast No Shadow, the backing vocals of yeah. Noel. Bound of all the way of all... It's like oh, his singing is like an perfect. instrument, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So he's using it like a like a violin. Yes. That's exactly it. Yeah. You've cleared up a lot for me on this. <laughs> Should have done this earlier. I mean, I know I love Oasis, but you've really helped me articulate it. Um, so stand by me, still on there, and I made a meal and threw it up on Sunday. That's cracking oh, as well. What a line! Yeah. I love his harmonies on that, but yeah, I think Stand by Me suffered a bit because by then sort of the backlash against them has sort of started, hadn't it? They're sort of going, it's not yeah. as good as what's the story. Um, so I don't think that gets the credit it deserves, Stand By Me. You're right. Uh, now, I would keep on, don't you think about this, I hope I think I know. Oh, yes, brilliant. Yeah. Love it. I would keep that on there. Uh, next track, Head Shrinker. Oh, nice. That feels so... That's really That old. feels like a song from a very different era. Yeah, it's very, yeah you're right, maybe... Yeah, maybe that doesn't go in. But. I think you've been a bit liberal with your timescales. No, no, that is off. That's off. That is off a uh, B-side on uh, What's the Story era, but it was really old then. So you're right. Say, it feels very... And, and the way they perform it, it feels very definitely maybe. Yeah, it? it does. It might stand... Yeah. I bet they played that at the King Tut's Wawa, you know. Pr- uh, yeah. It feels like I've seen it on that footage. Right, That that's... Right, that's one. I'll put a question mark next to it. You little sneak. Uh, no, no, but uh, I could put something back in. Uh, anyway, so next track, Rocking Chair. Oh, lovely. Lovely. So so what I've done, I've tried to think about the uh, the way the album flows. I've gone up. I'm just bringing you down a bit now. And then yeah. I'm flowing in, uh, don't go away. That's got to stay on there. Oh, you know what? I'm so pleased you left that in because I think that and Rocking Chair are kind of in a similar wheelhouse. Yeah, don't... And I was worried you were going to take out Go... Don't Go Away is beautiful. I think that's one of my favourite Oasis songs of all time, yes. Oh, it's lovely. Um, it, yeah, that flow nicely into each other. Then I'm going to yeah, flow into the okay. master plan. Give Noel his song. Oh, my word. And then I'm going to end on All Around the World and edit off about half an hour of it. <laughs> which still leaves about half an yeah. hour so I'll get an end on a big euphoric all around the world and then just end on it and no no okay, reprise but... no it's getting better man but, it's getting better but you're losing Magic Pie the girl in the dirty shirt yeah. I be here now uh, yeah I've got to say uh, I think I've, I've made it clear how big an Oasis fan I am I, I really don't like girl in the dirty shirt I don't know what it is about that you know what? There's there's a couple of songs on there that I know what you mean, and that's one of them. But I heard, and I don't know if you've heard this, you can get it on, I think it's available on Spotify, Oasis for Piano. I don't know if you've ever come across this. No. And it's 
oh, my, this is going to change your life. And it's going to change the way you look at some of these songs. So it's a guy, I forget his name, but he's just done loads of, and he's done a Be Here Now just on piano, right? And that is the best one. It, there's something about the songs on Be Here Now that really suit being played on a piano. And he's not just played them on the piano, he's underlaid all the, all the bass bits are done on a piano. And so it's, it's just this, like a symphony on a piano. The ones that really stand out on that album played on piano are The Girl in the Dirty Shirt and Magic Pie. And I think maybe it's just the way that this guy's arranged them. But they are haunting versions of these songs. I'll send you oh, the link after this. And maybe you can put the link in the blurb or the show notes or whatever you call it so that other people can find it. But if you go on Spotify and type in Oasis for Piano, and he's done loads of other ones, but he did the whole of Be Here Now on piano, and oh my God. Right. That oh. is like, if you ever just need to relax, put that on. It is, it's like something off a film soundtrack. It, it's got like an epic sound. I think there's, that's the thing. I think there are brilliant songs on Be Here Now that, like, Noel went and did a, a remix of um, Do You Know What I Mean? And if all of them were done like that, it could have been oh, such man. a different Oh, man. Well, those, album. um, the brilliant deluxe editions that came out the other day, the year when he had all the Mustique demos for Be Here yeah. Now. That, that I loved that. And I still, for a while, would listen to the demos over listening to the album. Yeah. Because it was like Noel had done a whole cover version. It was great. They were almost like those Johnny Cash versions, but of Oasis songs. Yeah. The sort of stripped-backed version of an album that was so overdone, was so cool to listen to. But if it wasn't, you know, I'm saying this, but Be Here Now, like... It was the perfect expression of 97. It was, you oh, just yeah. summed it up. You can't really change it. But, um, so, uh, I mean, I thought this would happen. We've not, we've not talked about them solo. We've not had a chance to talk about other bands you've got into. But uh, we've sort of ended where we started, on Johnny Cash, which yeah. seems, seems appropriate. But uh, one thing, one thing I'd ask you to end on, is there an Oasis song, we'll end with Oasis, is there an Oasis song that you don't think is known enough or given as much credit as it should be? You've probably said it there already, but if there is one. You know what I really like, and I, I, I reappraised, um, I think some of their later stuff's brilliant. I think Heathen Chemistry is a really good album yeah. and Don't Believe the Truth is a really good album and I think there's some great songs on there. Um, standing on the shoulders is, or standing on the shoulder, the great sort of miscommunication, even on the title of that album. But yeah. I think that is probably the most maligned album. Yeah. But there's some great songs on there, and I really love, and I love that they did it live. Gas Panic. All oh, right. And if you mentioned him earlier, Kevin Bridges, his first Edinburgh show was called "An Hour to Sing for Your Soul," which is a line, and the way Liam sings it is kind of, I think he, he kind of funny version of Liam. An hour to sing for yourself. You know, really <laughs> goes for it. Yeah, that... I think that's a great, weird song. That was when... I loved Gas Panic. Liam... So I think that would be one. Yeah, Liam started to sound like he was songs. doing an impression of himself on... Yeah! <laughs> that was the problem, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I love there Gas Panic. And great... I love fucking in the bushes. I love... And that became their great walk-on yeah. music, and Liam uses it now. Still until uses that it, yeah. is. Oh man, and when it gets used in Snatch, it's great. But that is that was a different type of sound for them, and that and Gas Panic, they experimented a bit, and it worked. I thought they both sounded great. Yeah. So I guess Gas Panic would be my kind of uh, again niche side on Go Let It Out. Um, let's all make believe. That's an unbelievable song. Oh well, what's the one? Um, I love that B side. Uh, As I saw on the breeze, that one. And it's got me on my knees. I've got the fever. Oh, yeah. 
I love that song. That is really uplifting. Yeah. Really positive. That's off of Be Here Now. Yeah, I've got that. I've yeah, got that so written down here. Yeah. Maybe I Got the Fever would be yeah, mine. You could, you I Got could the have Fever that, is you a could great have that on, uh, on the Be Here Now new track list if you want. Yeah, fuck it. I mean, we've got it for you just created a greatest hits album on, on, your, uh, on your thing now. Yeah. But yes, I think Gas Panic is a good niche suggestion for something that's a bit different, but that's really good. Lovely. Thanks, Vordy. It has been... Oh, mate, any time. Well, well, happy to come back and do like a deep cut on BDI, which I, I think BDI were superb. Wow. I was going to say... Like a true believer. So maybe we do a BDI episode. Yeah, well, we've not, we've not discussed uh, Oasis gigs you've been to, uh, any oh. of that. So there's, well, there's a few now that I've spoke to people and gone, well, this is teed up a part two. This is teed well, up a part two. So I'll, I'll uh, until the next time, Fordy. <laughs> yeah, till next week. Thanks, mate. Ta-ra. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.